This might sound a little crazy, but when I can, I like to listen back to the No Dunks podcast. I look at it as sort of a day-to-day review. What worked on the pod? What could we have changed? Did I laugh a little too hard when Lee said, down to the skin? And I only listen to No Dunks on my new Sonos Move. Move is the premium portable smart speaker for listening all around your home and even outdoors. You can stream music, podcasts, radio, audiobooks, and more with Wi-Fi or Bluetooth and experience clearly detailed sound and rich bass for up to 11 hours with Move's long-lasting battery and durable, weather-resistant design. 11 hours! Think of that! I could listen to every No Dunks ad read ever performed, back-to-back-to-back-to-back, including this one, and still have some battery life to listen to a little music. Just pick up Move off its indoor charging base and bring the sound with you from room to room. I can't even shower now without listening to a podcast or music. The water cannot touch my skin. Luckily, I got my Move. Pop it in the bathroom, boom, rub-a-dub-dub. My buddy Ken manages a video and audio center up in Canada. He was an early adopter of Sonos, and he offered, I'm not kidding you here, to buy my move off of me because he can't keep them on the shelves. It's that good. I'm not kidding. Ken says move is the best portable smart speaker on the market. Its sound quality is unmatched. I also think it just looks awesome. Good sound, cool look. That's a good combo. So go to Sonos.com to learn more and get your Sonos Move today. I read that like they reckon that by 20, I think it's like 2030, like there's going to be no more Gary's born. Like, yeah, and that's sad. I know, like you just don't hear it. Like, can you think of any Gary's? Oh God, not him. Good morning, sweet world, and welcome to the No Dunks Podcast on the Athletic Network. It's Thursday, September 3rd. I'm J.E. Skeets, and joining us here, as always, we got Tass Millis. Hey, everybody. Hey, Tassie. We got the bearded one, Trey Kirby. Hey-o! Hey-o! We've got the international man of mystery taking it to the max, Leolis. Friends. Lily, mm. And last but not least, making the magic happen, J.D. Hello. There he is, and here we are. Shout out to everyone joining us live right now on YouTube and or listening to the podcast. Keep your questions and your comments coming for our mailbag-only episodes. We dropped a new Beach Steppin' podcast yesterday, Wednesday afternoon, so go check that out. And again, keep the emails coming. NoDunksAtTheAthletic.com. Tweet them in at NoDunksInc. I'd like to say, guys, happy 300th episode. Oh, oh wow. This is our 300th episode of the season. Which Whoa. is mind-boggling. Just bowl the perfect game. <laughs> crazy. <laughs> crazy. And what an episode we have here because, man, we got some crazy games to talk about. But first, RKO out of nowhere here this morning. Great timing, by the way. Way to do it right before the show. Hall of Fame guard Steve Nash has been named the next coach of the Brooklyn Nets. Tess, honestly, out of nowhere with this news. Steven John Nash, the next head coach of the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, it absolutely came out of nowhere. He's sort of on holy ground with us, especially as Canadians, where the show has come from. I have faith that Steve Nash will succeed in anything he does. And it's 
kind of crazy to think that he put in five years with the Golden State Warriors as a consultant, sort of in the player development side, since he retired. That's a long time. And obviously, he developed a relationship with Kevin Durant as all the reports are, are going out here. So it sure seemed like KD said, hey, I want that guy to be our next head coach. And Nash, for a long time, apparently wanted to be a head coach in this league, wanted to get into coaching, which... I guess I just didn't really know about, uh, but uh, he has been given the reins here. It's not like a Jason Kidd scenario, again, because I bring up the five years. He ju- he's not just retired and plopped into it, but I sure feel like Nash is going to be great. Uh, he is going to be a, a very lovable coach, but he, like sort of Steve Kerr, I think he's going to be a player's coach, but also a hard-ass, fiery type guy. It's just... It's just crazy to think of him as a bench boss all of a sudden. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, maybe he'll uh, he'll buy into the not wearing a suit because it doesn't seem like Steve Nash is a suit man. Oh, uh, what, what do you mean? Wasn't he a spokesman for like a suit company? <laughs> an an Indochino guy? Indochino? Indochino, yeah, that's it. Indochino yeah. of course, custom suits, <laughs> customize everything. You yeah. want to, this kind of button on one sleeve, this kind of button on another <laughs> sleeve, but I, I don't think that. I don't think he'll be a suit man, but who, who I, either way, I think he's going to be a, a successful bench boss, and again, maybe that's just because I'm Canadian, but I, I think he's got the temperament. He's got a Steve Kerr sort of feel and vibe to me. Right, right, right. He has no coaching experience. That is the weird part here, right, Lee? I mean, you know, as Woj wrote in his uh, column here, breaking this news after Stein was the first one, Nash does have a history of peerless leadership, basketball <laughs> IQ, and playing innovation. All true, but no coaching experience is a, is a little wild. It is, but it comes down to the talent of the players that you have, and he's going to have two Hall of Fame players at his uh, disposal, and I think that's the most important thing here. When Steve Kerr took over in Golden State, he also had no coaching experience, but he had a very, very good roster, and that's ultimately what it comes down to. Yep. If you throw Steve Nash into a situation... You know, let's say like the Indiana Pacers, he's probably less likely to succeed. But when he goes to a situation where he has two players who you know are in the prime of their career, they want to win, they want to prove something. And by all accounts, they have their blessing that he's the guy that they wanted there. Then the formula is right for it to to succeed. Now, there's no guarantees it will. Of course, nobody knows how it's going to come together. But certainly when you look at the sort of pieces there, that's what it's all about. Is like you've got the talent, you've got a coach that the players will respect. You've got a guy who played one of the positions there, and then he's also had a, a good relationship with the other superstar on the team. So I think it's a smart move by Brooklyn. Again, it t- carries risk, but it's going to take uh, carry risk no matter who you hire. But I think they've kind of thought this through and thought, well, this player is going to have like a, the communication with these two guys. He's going to be able to try to get the best out of Kyrie Irving. And Kevin Durant seems on board as well. So everyone should at least go in with the right attitude there and with the, with the right temperament. It's just now... Right. He gets their instant respect, I think it's is fair to say. Uh, not only uh, the, the all-stars there in Durant and Kyrie, but the whole team. Because, I mean, Nash has the accomplishments. He's a Hall of Famer. And he's got also, I think, when you pair, he's got the work ethic, too. Um, you know, it, it's weird that this tiny Canadian guy became a Hall of Famer. He didn't just do that out of luck. I mean, it was a lot of hard work. So I think there's both there, the accomplishments and that, and that work ethic when you pair them together. What do you think, Trey, about this? I mean, who knows what Steve Nash is going to be like as a coach. He could be Jason Kidd. He could be Steve Kerr. But we do know that Steve Nash was always great at getting everybody to be on the same page. And he was a great leader who was great for morale. And I imagine that that will be a huge part of what Nash brings to the Nets, setting their culture, right? We saw in the past couple of years, 
Kyrie Irving's career, there have been times when he's calling out his teammates. I doubt that thing happens as often when Steve Nash is there. The guy who, like, set the record for most high fives given on court, <laughs> trying to get everybody encouraged playing together. Yeah. I imagine that Nash is just a general, you know, niceness. The way mm. he gets along with people, the way he knows how to to build a team and, you, you know, just get everybody organized, I think will be helpful uh, with Katie and Kyrie and then... We'll see what he does on the court. You imagine it's a little bit more Steve Kerr than Jason Kidd with regards to ball movement and keeping things going and allowing guards to flourish, but we still don't know. It's just exciting to have Steve Nash back in our lives, not talking about soccer. Yeah, that's right, right. That's true. I forgot he was doing that. Uh, Jared wrote me here this morning after this news broke. Well, I guess you can dress as a Nets head coach for Halloween. So I'll have to figure out whether he's wearing a suit or not. So I know he can pull that, <laughs> that off. that Chino going. Yeah, exactly. Um, and the Nets, we should point out, they are keeping Jacques Vaughn here as the as the lead, you know, assistant coach. He's going to be the highest paid assistant in the league. You know, we thought he did a great job in the bubble there. And uh, it's nice to see he'll still be on, on this staff. And uh, I, I don't know, if, did Nash ever play with Jacques Vaughn? I mean, I, I'm not 100% sure about it. But you said the relationships. This is really what this league's all about here, right? He's the consultant with KD in Golden State. It sounds like KD was like, I want him, get him. And then they talked him into this, you know, four-year deal here as the contract he signed. And then Nash played with Sean Marks, too, in Phoenix. And they apparently kept a, a good relationship throughout the years. So, Steve Nash, I mean, look, you're right. We're happy. We're Canadian. I only do this show because of Steve Nash. There would be no dun- no dunks, uh, I don't think, if he ever came around into our lives. So, uh, <laughs> we'll see if he can... Uh, take the Nets to a title contender right away. It's not a given, that's for sure. I mean, I remember when Steve Nash, the player, went to the Lakers and we thought he was going to win a title with uh, Dwight and Kobe there. And uh, it's a little different, I know, but that didn't go quite so well. Yeah, but that's also like Steve Kerr. It was like they they took a risk and it worked out. But I think another part of the reason there that it did work out was that they hired uh, experienced assistant coaches as well to help out Steve Kerr. So that'll be interesting to see who else now comes on board. You mentioned Jock Vaughn already. So there'll uh, there'll be, I'm sure, a couple of other moves there to be made. But, uh, you know, you say this sh- there wouldn't be a show without Steve Nash. That's why we're called No Dunks in, I guess, because uh, Nash right. didn't throw <laughs> down too many. Down. And, no, did you? Is there, I mean, has anyone ever seen Steve Nash dunk? I don't know. I don't think probably of, happened. But. Yeah. He can. I mean, he's not. I mean, I said small. How tall is he? Like 6'3"? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, can't think of... Uh, definitely doesn't have a poster, Steve Nash. <laughs> <No. dunk. laughs> didn't have that poster on my wall. Uh, for sure. All right. Nah. So congrats to uh, congrats to Steve Nash and the Nets here and his family. But like, really for keeping this a secret. I mean, that's a, in today's world, to keep anything under wraps, how, how'd they even do this task? I mean, again, this was, nobody knew this. Maybe Mark Stein had been sitting on this because he's got a relationship with Nash over the last couple of decades. But wow, what a shock here. Yeah, it's kind of like Kawhi going to the Clippers and bringing in Paul George. That came out of nowhere. NBA teams can do this. They can make this happen. They can keep things quiet. I just like the fact that Unfortunately, a little bit later in the show, we're going to talk about Steve Javi. I like how he's been upped by another Steve. Steve Nash has taken the lead on today's show. And, and those Lakers days, they hurt me, Skeets. Thinking about those Lakers days and they hurt uh, <laughs> Steve Nash's back. Uh, but how, how can you not hire this guy? Look at this guy. Look how nice this man is. This is the nicest man in the nice world. nice looking guy right there. Yeah, hire that guy. Just wanted to get that in the show as well. Hi. My back hurts, but I can still wave and smile. I'll still give you a high five. All right. So Nash Did a quick look up. Up real quick, yeah. uh, basketball reference play-by-play data. 
Steve Nash, zero dunks in wow. his NBA career. Wow. The official coach nice. of no dunks. Wow. Did, he, did he throw one down at Santa Clara? That's the real mm. question. Yeah, we got to go deep into the YouTubes. Yeah, or or some court up in Canada, in BC there, maybe he this, did, yeah. This show can't get any whiter, but now Steve Nash is our coach. <laughs> <laughs> and all of a sudden. <laughs> absolutely right. Okay, well, yeah, you're talked about. I mean, Steve Nash uh, bumping the game talk here. And these were some insane games, so let's get to them. I'm sure we'll get into more Nash and Nets talk. Uh, over the coming weeks here but let's start with the Rockets edging the Thunder to win a wild game seven they move on to face the Lakers but uh, they outlast OKC Lee in game seven and James Harden terrible offensively but comes up with a huge stop a huge block on Dort but where do you want to start with this pure insanity (laughs) I don't really know where to start because we had the team like the Thunder, when Chris Paul hit that three, he called Robert Covington for a pick at about the eight-minute mark and hit a three in his face, and Robert Covington was devastated, and I put the Thunder up. I was like, that's basically that. That's it. Chris Paul is just going to steer this ship home. But instead, that didn't happen. The, the, the Thunder sort of choked a little bit towards the end there. Mm-hmm. Chris Paul made a couple of mistakes, and then the Rockets scored some baskets, and then the craziness at the end where Lou Dort, who'd hit six threes and scored 30 points, putting him in a, 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 a bracket with LeBron James and uh, Michael Jordan, I think it was, for the youngest Kobe, player. wasn't it? That's oh, Kobe, excuse me, yeah. yeah. Uh, 21 or under uh, to have the most points in a game seven, which was just incredible. And then it was the James Harden block, which basically sealed the game. And you thought the game was over, but then they added another half a second, then they added another <laughs> second and a half to that. Then they got a tech foul for the uh, for the inbound play that Danilo Gallinari missed the technical free throw. And it was just like, then you sort of look at the play and it's like, Steve, Steve, another Steve. Steve Adams appeared to have an open lane, but then Covington was right there. Then they couldn't get the ball in anyway. There was timeouts everywhere. No one really knew what the hell was going on. And, and, and at the end, if the Rockets had lost that game, considering everything that happened, the, the internet would have ended last night because it was like the Rockets got up by by uh, two points and it was like Covington missed one free throw. Yep. He made one, missed the other. And then it was like if somehow like uh, Scott Foster, Scott, not a Steve, was to sort of <laughs> finagle a win out of this to the Thunder or just to get it to overtime at least, like people would have lost their mind. Uh, so it was a crazy game. I, I had no real idea at the end of it if I enjoyed that, if I hated it, if I felt bad for the Thunder, if I was happy for the Rockets. I was just like, James Harden was so pumped that he got that block. He was so pumped. And, uh, you know, the shot maybe goes in, maybe it doesn't, but he made that incredible defensive yeah. play. And uh, and afterwards, I think it was like, okay, Rockets, he played well enough to get through, especially in those clutch moments. We had Chris Paul and James Harden trying to outflop each other. Oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> Thank God. I mean, look, we yeah, we're gonna be ripping on the officials a lot here on today's podcast, but I will give them credit for swallowing the whistle on yeah. everybody just trying to flop on that one. Oh, man. Okay, good job by Scott Foster and the crew on that one. Yeah, Lee, did you want a cigarette after this game? Oh, That's man. what I was thinking. I, yeah, like like my adrenaline was up, but then it was down because it was like a sort of shitty end, but it was like probably the right result in the end overall. I mean, if Lou Dort's going out there and lighting you up for six threes, like. You can't lose. Like I think Zach Harper tweeted, if Lou Dort and and in the end he did, he outscored James Harden. But if he, if the Thunder gone to win that game, and Dort hits thirty points, and James Harden, I think he finished nineteen. Like James Harden would honestly should never play basketball again after that. What did I tell uh, you yesterday? Show I said if the Rockets lose this and Harden, what did I say? I said goes like seven for twenty four or whatever. I said he was even worse than that. Yeah, they wouldn't even have him on Dancing with the Stars. (laughs) They would say no, we don't even want you, man. Lou Dort just kicked your ass in a game seven. Yeah, he that was. uh, 
I mean, I don't know. Is it is it going too far to say he saved his legacy by blocking a three point shot from a you know a young Canadian on the wing? I don't know. It feels like it because the game was insane. Tass, I was thinking of you too, man, because you're always telling us, you know, NBA. It's the the fastest of the four major sports. <laughs> but man, it took 16 minutes to play the final minute of this game in both of these games last night. So it was not moving very quickly. I agree with that. It was not moving very quickly. The, the back-to-back timeouts, what are those? Get rid of them. It, ma- it makes no those? sense. Um, but, yeah, I, I thought it could have gone a lot slower because the referees could have called flop after flop after flop after right. flop. James Harden puts a bucket in. After the bucket, then decides he gets hit by Lou Dort, then flops. You don't really usually see a guy flopping after the ball is uh, taken out of bounds. Uh, there were so many flops. The refs uh, did a good job, actually. But Harden... Did he save his legacy? He was 1-9 from three-point land. He's now 24% from three-point land in Game 7s in his career now. Uh, he just, for some reason, over four Game 7s, he can't hit shots. I, I, I think this was the game of the, the, the fewer mistakes are going, is going to win this basketball game. And I guess the Rockets just didn't make more than the Thunder. That's all that happened. Uh, this is why they got Russ, though, because Harden... Can't close out games. Can't close out game sevens. I don't know what it is because in game one next series, he's going to pop back. It's not like he's tired. Uh, it's There's something mental there. There's something that, that happens to James Harden over a period of time. But they need Russ to close games. And that's why they got him. Uh, that's why they got Chris Paul. Um, but uh, I, I'm happy that this game is finally over. Uh, it, it, and, and again, it was it just wasn't it wasn't pretty uh, because you went, it was so drastic, the difference between teams the two teams playing before Miami and Milwaukee uh the way they were collapsing and then recovering to shooters the way they were playing defense and the way the Rockets and Thunder were playing offense it was like they weren't purposefully going into sets understanding what they were doing they were just sort of shooting and deciding what they were going to do because they had to decide something because you kind of have to decide something before the shot clock goes up it was bad ball it was it was just again uh whoever has more points at the end gets it done but yeah James Harden had a block and he can flex afterwards and and it was a good defensive play uh for sure but I I don't know I just couldn't enjoy it and I'm sure Harden going back to his tape he just looked so disinterested and that it was bonkers to watch an MVP candidate just kind of float uh through a lot of this game and he had some nice drives um, but the less ugly team won this game, and it just seems like when they go play L.A. Uh, starting Friday, they're going to get massacred. It just doesn't feel like there's <laughs> doesn't feel like there's any chance for a team that plays like this, right? I don't know. What do you think, Trey? I mean, who knows? If you're talking legacies, though, James Harden made the clutchest play in a game seven. He did more than Chris Paul in the last five minutes of this game. If you're talking about guys who have shaky postseason legacies, I said I'm not going to say anything bad about Chris Paul, but you can go look at his last five minutes stats and see what happened. Not much. Um, And Harden, like, what a crazy play to actually get that block sort of from behind, sort of like Manu Ginobili back in uh, the 2015 days. Uh, Just the effort to get out there was impressive. And, you know, the Rockets, I thought, did a pretty good job in the last couple of minutes of making things tough for the Thunder to get open shots, and they were switching, and they were just causing chaos out there, and the game turned crazy. Uh, you know, we got a little bit more jabby time. I thought after game one, there's no way we're going to see as much jabby as we can 
<laughs> for this game seven here. But oh baby, there was some jabby. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I don't know what a game this was. It was awesome to watch. But um, you know, as a James Harden fan for years and years, it's pretty hilarious that the clutchest play of his career right now is a block on a three-pointer shot by <laughs> Lou Dort. Oh my God. <laughs> well, yeah. Okay, so I saw Clutch Fans, which is a, a Rockets Twitter account. They tweeted, and I almost laughed out loud when I read it. And then I was like, oh, I don't know, maybe there's some truth to it. So I wanted to throw it at you, Lee. Let's go to you first. They tweeted, put this on his resume. James Harden had a game-winning, series-winning blocked shot with a second left in a game seven. It deserves every bit of respect as a Lillard or a Doncic buzzer-beating <laughs> shot. <laughs> How do no, you react to that? Not not to that level, no. no. Right. I mean, if that's Steph Curry or Clay Thompson, maybe. But if it's Lou Dort and he, I know he's hot during the game, but it's Lou Dort still. <laughs> I mean, let's not get too carried away. But he hustled on the play. Yeah. And he got to it and it was clean. And then and then he also, Dort kind of tried to throw the ball off him and he, and he sort of had the awareness to sort of... De- also you know, very jump weird. What was, even, yes. what was yeah. even Dort doing there? Like that, I was like confused with that. He Now he had already stepped out of bounds. So yeah. it actually uh, didn't matter. Yeah. But I mean, if he hadn't stepped out of bounds, it was like, Dort, just turn around and shoot it again. I don't yeah. know why you're trying to zip it off him. Yeah, oh, you're yeah. going to see that in Dancing with the Stars. A little hearty <laughs> oh, split. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Kick it like, yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. But the, the important thing, though, I think to, to take out of that play is that as bad as he was playing, and we saw he missed a couple of those threes by a mile, James Harden made a critical drive. I think he was the one who passed to PJ Tucker who put the Rockets ahead. He did, he did. And then he, you know, and then defensively, he didn't let that affect his game. Um, so, and, and no. the weird thing is, I mean, from the start, his shot... His shot just looks awful in Game 7, and he just looks so low on confidence. But when he drives, and Westbrook as well, when he drives as well, that's where I thought the game was won for the Thunder uh, for the Rockets. Just go inside. You can score. You can get good looks all the time. And that's what happened. They kept the scoreboard ticking. But So for James Harden to be down, slumped like that, knowing what was going to happen if the Thunder win this game, for him to sort of stay in that moment, I think, was very, very important and very impressive for him too because not known as a, as a great defensive player and certainly not known as a sort of great shot blocker and a jump shooter, uh, so he got that clean. Because if he fouls Dort, you know, Dort goes to the line to shoot three. I mean, who knows what happens. Yeah. But, but of course, then James Harden's the, the bad guy if uh, if he fouls. Oh, man, you know, it'd be even yeah. worse. Exactly. Not only did he score 17 in a game seven and Dort yeah. went for 30 plus. Now you fouled him and put him on the line and maybe yeah. lost the series. Yeah, no, it would be worse. I think, I think SG- a great point by Jared Thomas here in the chat. He says James Harden's a two-way player now. Let's keep it real, <laughs> folks. That wasn't James Harden's only block in the last five minutes. He mm. blocked Chris Paul out of bounds on a layup attempt at the rim as well. Harden was giving it his all gave defensively his all. more so than he was on offense because you're right. He was a little pass happy. It was a little bit of Westbrook take us home. It's crazy that this game came down to a P.J. Tucker floater. Has that guy shot a floater at all during <laughs> yeah. the season? I don't know. Yeah, but it was yeah. the game-winning basket with a minute 20 left. Yeah. yeah he, he was doing the interview on ESPN after the game P.J. Tucker was with a big smile after hitting that floater, and that's just not a good sign for the Rockets. It just it really isn't that they, they, the two guys didn't take over enough in this fourth quarter uh, to win this game. Well, they maybe and, took over enough defensively, though. I mean, I'll give them, yeah, you know, Westbrook was everywhere on, a last, on these last couple of plays, too. Yeah, they, they, things, they definitely locked down. Chris Paul play, yeah. They locked down, but they, they, they should have blown out the, uh, OKC. They should have in this in this game with with Lou Dort uh, going for 30 
No offense. I love Lou Dort. Uh, the only thing that would have made the game better is if Scottie Pippen tweeted in and said, Lou Dort, rip up your four-year, $5.4 million contract. You can do better than that, my man. Trust me. Right. Uh, that, that was, I just, watching, yes, cl- we're going to talk about clutch plays. Is Manu Ginobili's block on James Harden at the end of the Rocket Spurs series the clutchest play of his career? I mean, we're talking about two different, <laughs> we're talking about like two tiers here. Clutch oh, plays in, in, yeah. in first rounds. Even Chris Paul, I, 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 the thing is, yeah, he, he didn't have a good Game 7, didn't come through. Uh, but he earned some clutch points earlier in this series. Uh, clutch City, clutch points. Lots of, lots of website talk out here now. Um, but there's a, tier, there's a tier for clutch first-rounders, clutch block from James Harden, and then you know coming through clutch to win a conference finals or, or an NBA yeah. finals. So, yeah, it's clutch. Uh, they came through. Um, but really, yeah, James Harden had to be had to be a better offensive player. <laughs> Lots of good defense, but he needed to be better defensively. Uh, and if he is, uh, he's definitely had some drives, but if he is, then they win by 20. Um, yeah, and, and that's what he's an MVP candidate for that reason. It's just, it's just strange. These game sevens, um, I'm not going to pull up the stats again, but somehow they fall. He, he just kind of falls down. Uh, game six are good. Game seven, not so good. And he'll come back to, to play better against the Lakers. But uh, here we are. That was ugly. Yeah, Covington uh, sort of saved the Rockets' ass. He hit a ton of threes for them. Jeff Green hit, <laughs> he continues to hit threes for them. Uh, Eric Gordon, I thought, was was good for good stretches of this game. Um, you know, those three guys combined nice for defensive 55. plays late in the game yeah. as well. He had quick hands. Gordon was playing defense as well. Guys that you didn't expect to play defense in the last minutes for the Rockets, they all showed up. Right. And then let's talk about, you know, OKC, they have their chances here. They're, they're inbounding on the side a couple of times. Felt like five times they had a look at this. Uh, let's let's possibly drop a play and see if we can do anything. Um, I know we got into it a little bit last night, Trey, you and I, like talking about the play before the final play, the play where a timeout is taken, I, I guess it was. Um, or is that the one where Harden is called? For, no, that is right. I believe the timeout was called. Where it, it looks, appears like Adams, he has... PJ Tucker's like sealed if he wants. There's a no one near the paint, no one at all. There's obviously stuff going on over here, and SGA is looking at that because whatever they've drawn up. Um, but whether or not, man, was there a lob pass right there? If maybe Adams just throws up his hand and, and SGA sees it, do you just throw that in there? There's only like a second. What was it? One point one. Could something have happened there? That obviously doesn't happen. But uh, yeah, do you want to be throwing it to Stephen Adams, who looked gassed uh, as it was? Why is he even out there? A lot of people are wondering. I mean, these last couple of things from the Thunder, their execution or lack of it, left a lot of people scratching their heads. What, what do you think of that one? And then even the final one that sort of got blown up right at the end. Yeah, I didn't see a reason to have Stephen Adams out yeah. there. You're right. It's probably there. The lob was probably there so. on the first time, but also Stephen Adams has been the fifth option for the entirety of his career. He's been out there to set screens for the entirety mm-hmm. of his career, so now we're supposed to expect that he makes a sudden call in the last one second of a Game 7 to go and score while we've got a guy playing in his first playoff series who's supposed to also break the play and throw a lob to the rim to score yeah. with one second left. Uh, that, to me, is more after the matter facts when it should have been Steven Adams shouldn't have probably been on the court. You should have probably had four great offensive players. Maybe Chris Paul could throw the inbound. Somebody you really trust to get a good pass in, to get a good play in. Mm-hmm. I just thought Billy Donovan didn't have a great play called up, didn't have the right personnel out there. And you saw what happened. It ended up being a play for Steven Adams to get a catch and shoot three pointer. Not going to work. Despite the fact that Stan Van Gundy did mention that 
during the seeding games, right? He's like, maybe you find out a way to get Steven Adams free from the corner. <laughs> that one was a brick as well. This one, they didn't even get a shot up despite having two chances at it. Yeah. yeah. It and just knowing, just knowing how good OKC have been all season long, it was really surprising to see them be so uh, spotty with that. And even Chris Paul, as great as he's been, he took too long, I think, even to get, get that last possession going. When they're trailing by a point, you've got to get into that a lot quicker, I think, so that if there is a shot and there's a chance for an offensive rebound, uh, I, I thought that was a little bit strange that he didn't get into his spot a little bit quicker. And You're talking well, about the one where Chris tries to pass... Like eventually passes the ball and gets deflected by Westbrook. SGA yeah. gets it and then throws it to Dort. Yes, you're talking about yes. that one. Yeah, yeah. He, he yeah. took too long, yeah. I think. Um, again, when you're down, you know, it's like you're giving the benefit of the win to the other team. So get into your play quicker. And if you make your basket, even if there's still ten seconds to go, the pressure is then on the other team that they have to score. And uh, I think that was a little bit, a little bit surprising for Chris Paul. But then again, he missed that little dinker there, right in the paint there, after the sort of double floppy, flippy floppy, whatever was going on there. Um, and, and Eric Gordon, you know, Trey mentioned that his defense, he's actually been quite good on Chris Paul a few times in this series. And you saw on that uh, a couple of plays, especially that one where Chris Paul hit the three over Covenant. I think it was Gordon. He was fighting like anything to make sure that he couldn't get the switch, but eventually they did. So um, I think that's one thing that Eric Gordon was, he was more up for the challenge than Robert Covington. Surprisingly though, I mean, Robert Covington is long, he's tall, he's athletic, and he's a good defender, but Chris Paul just cooked him a couple of times and really... Oh, yeah, and he wants him every single time. Every right? time, yeah, which is... Yeah. He's you so know, much bigger than him. It's, it's, it's but, just but hard still, for him to Covington, stay with a little water bug. Covington's a great help defender, but that's not his strength is guarding a little guy one-on-one, which is why it was impressive to see Gordon fighting through the switches, right, yeah. to actually stick with Chris Paul because it paid off to stay at guard, guard versus guard. Those two dudes save the Rockets, though. Eric Gordon and Robert Covington yeah. just coming through and hitting shots when, again, Harden or Westbrook, we don't know what we're doing here on offense. We're not going to take these shots. Here, Robert Covington, shoot this thing. He had six threes. Massive. Six massive threes. And Eric Gordon, five massive threes. And, and playing their hearts out, they really saved that crew. Uh, well, the, the other thing is, OKC turned it over a ton of times and gave them a ton of second chance opportunities, which the, the Rockets seem to cash in a lot. So I think that's another thing. You look back at this game, the amount of times the Thunder had some careless turnovers and just couldn't even get a shot off or a good shot off came back to haunt them in the end. Yeah, 28, 28 points for the Rockets off the OKC turnovers. That's a lot. That's and, a ton. And, and only 12 uh, for Houston. Uh, it was just, yeah, you could talk about every possession at the end there. Uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander, even the inbound. Chris Paul was right there. Like, mm-hmm. he, yeah. like you should be kind of looking for Chris Paul to shoot that thing, but but Chris Paul came up short on on that on that one that Lee just talked about. Chris Paul just wasn't right. I think just Game Seven sometimes. You see it in NBA players. They don't play like themselves, right? Uh, although, you know, Shady Gillis-Alexander did hit that three-point shot there in the corner. Uh, it was There's just so many weird things. Danilo Gallinari is shooting that technical free throw. Uh, that's what I was going to ask Leo. Yeah. I wanted to get his take on that. Why, why was Chris Paul not stepping up there? No, I'm okay with that because Danilo Gallinari takes their technical free throws all season long. He's an 89% yeah. free throw shooter. So, and, and Chris Paul's at 89% as well. But that, to me has been blown out of proportion because it wasn't as though like uh, Chris Paul was shying away from it. That's Gallinari is their free yeah, throw shooter, yeah, their technical yeah. free throw shooter. So he That's took right. it. And, and I'm more than happy with Danilo Gallinari, Danilo Gallinari shooting free throws. He's a very, very good smooth shooter and that one just rimmed out. So How, how much does it play into it that he hadn't hit one all night? He was, it was 0 for 2 and Chris Paul was 6 for 6 from the line though. I mean, like sure, there's an argument there, but... 
that's like Gallinari is not some rookie who's just like you know it's not like Lou Dort going to the line. It's like this guy should be money at the line, and uh, and again that's that's how that's who shoots their free throws this season. So um, I, I wasn't. I think that's been blown out a little bit. You're right about Shea. I mean, he hit the big three late. He hit threes. I mean, and he, he did contribute offensively. But I thought so many times down the stretch he looked shook. Like he, mm-hmm. he I mean, look, you, you got to. These are the lumps you got to take as a player. This is good. You know, hopefully for his career, this is good to be in a game seven with high stakes and everybody trying to flop their ass off and the crazy whistle and all that. Just the, the madness. But yeah, the inbounds, I thought, huh, brutal. Like, I, I think he was scared to maybe be out there and being the guy to do that. And I will even say, I don't think Harden blocks Dort if that pass is better. Um, right. It's a bad pass. No, it's a crazy broken play. Credit to Westbrook. I don't, you know, why is Chris Paul giving it up and all that? But. The pass from SGA over to Dort, it's bad. It's way too high. Dort grabs it high. Then he's got to reload. And that gives, I think, Harden just enough time to get out there and then eventually block it. I think if, if that pass is on the money, I think Dort gets a look at the shot. I think he gets it up. I don't think Harden has any chance to block it. So, uh, yeah, just a couple. And there's a couple other instances where you're just like, yeah, that's a, that's a young guy out there <laughs> that uh, looks a little scared of the moment, uh, to be quite frank. But, but you know, it was, it was a big three, of course. That's a huge three at that point when no one could score. So he did some good things, too. But yeah. crazy game. Dennis Schroeder, Dennis Schroeder, two games in a row, just going from the best player in the, in the series for OKC uh, to he just he was also just they, he was just kind of watching you know he was really aggressive in the first few games and he had opportunities to finish it off for OKC uh, but nobody nobody could just take it for them and so yeah it was just one it was a, it was a make or miss league out there you know that's <laughs> what happens they oh, missed man. It was... but, okay come on I mean I've taken my vow you guys are saying nobody just took it yeah Gallinari is the free throw shooter but he couldn't get open. Chris Paul was right there. Yeah, my vow, my vow maintains. But I'm just saying, when you after a game six, when you come out and say some people are built for it, and then you're not taking the free throw and you're not getting the last shot, where's the criticism? I do feel like Chris Paul is getting a little bit of a pass here. Oh, he had a bad fourth quarter. He did not come through. He did not. That was his game for sure. That was his game to take over. Agree. Yeah, no, <laughs> I, I, I agree, that. and I, I mean, and to me, you're right. It's like, yeah, Gallinari, he's an 89% free throw shooter. I still want Chris Paul to shoot it. Dwayne Wade wanted Chris Paul to shoot it. I yeah. don't know why he wasn't the guy there. I, I, I like, I get why people wanted Chris Paul to, sh- to do it, but again, Gallinari is the vet who's been doing it all season. I, I don't really think there's too much to criticize him about all that. Gallinari didn't have a great game, but he's a great shooter. He's a great shooter, and a free throw in that moment, I was like, because I, I, as soon as he took it, I thought. Hmm, I wonder if people are going to bring something up about this, and then and obviously everyone did. And I thought, yeah, but it's. I mean, you're not you're not putting like a 75% shooter at the line, or Chris Paul was trying to avoid going. It was like, and and Chris Paul said after the game, he's our shooter. He shoots our techs, mm-hmm. and that's that's what happened. He missed it. I mean, yeah, I, I'm not as uh, worked up about the technical free throw, but the other stuff that Trey is saying, like him giving up the ball there after talking yeah. a big game after game six. Yeah, that's that shouldn't happen. Like. Yeah. They can get a, you can get a shot. Chris Paul is going to get a shot if there's a little bit more room operated. I mean, look, we got to knock Billy Donovan for what's going on out here too. Some of these play calls. I mean, this is not pretty. And yes, Westbrook maybe having played for him, knowing what they're doing half the time, he is everywhere. I felt like Westbrook was sort of everywhere to me in defensively last couple of possessions. So, so credit to him. Credit to the Rockets for fighting hard. But yeah, yeah great Chris Paul's got to shoot these, and Billy Donovan's got to give them something a little better to work with. I think. Yeah. 
Westbrook had a great bounce back game as far as yeah. just energy and yeah. not giving the ball away and setting his guys up. That's what that's what he was called in for. Uh, the reason that it was so ugly down the stretch was because guys weren't uh, the guys who were supposed to be taken over weren't taken over, and that's why. Uh, all these broken plays made it a far less enjoyable watch than the other game we're going to talk about. I, even though the other game was riddled by you know two referees calls in the last 15 yeah. seconds, wasn't much better. It, oh no, no, far, it was it was way better. It was way better. 47 minutes and 48 seconds of better basketball than this OKC Houston game. It was way better to watch. Mm, okay, well, let's get to that. We will do our Lakers-Rockets series preview and predictions on tomorrow's show because that series starts on Friday. And by the way, we're going to get to our uh, Nuggets-Clippers series preview and prediction later in this show, so stick around for that. But yeah, okay, let's get to the Heat Bucks game. Jimmy Butler, he wins it at the buzzer on free throws, Lee's favorite, as the Heat topped the Bucks 116-114 to take the 2-0 series lead uh we know how Tass feels about it it was a, a better played game in his opinion but Trey you get a start here what was your big takeaway from this I'm worried I'm worried for my Bucks prediction I'm feeling <laughs> a little bit like an idiot a for going against Jimmy Butler and b for going against uh, the Heat team who has been incredible in the bubble looking like the far more athletic effort giving team but the takeaway is what in the world was going on with the referees? Like, we think the referees were crazy in this game seven. I I don't know. Was was this game two the referees even crazier? Yes, uh, they're way worse. The way I things think. happened, it was what a six point lead for Miami with uh, twenty seven seconds left, and somehow this ended up being uh, an Elam ending free throw shooting fest <laughs> for Jimmy Butler. Per league official, this is from a, a Sam Amick report. It's the first time in a playoff game had been decided on free throws with zero on the clock. Since 1979, only the third time it's ever happened. Lee, you had to have loved seeing a free throw game or a playoff game literally come down to untimed free throws. We got Kelly Olynyk sitting back there doing a yoga pose at half court, waiting to see if Jimmy's going to knock these down. It was crazy. The foul calls on Dragic at what? I guess it was a three-pointer. It felt like it was about half court, just standing perfectly straight up. Unfortunately, Torso on knee. No, that's that's a foul. And then the other way back, the worst makeup call of all time. Giannis gives Jimmy Butler a little pat on the back. Hey, man, you can go shoot some free throws as well. <laughs> what is going on here with the referees? This is the problem with no home court advantage. They should be getting booed heavily when these things are happening, right? Like, they should at least have to feel the boos of making these calls. Well, yeah, and then just on top of those two embarrassing calls late, it's like these guys were beating the shit out of each other for the final fourth quarter and like <laughs> like like they were letting them play there for a good stretch things got insane okay that's fun that's playoff basketball i got no problem with that but then they call these ones and yeah it the Dragic one task is a joke that's a bad bad call he does not go uh, yeah, under him he does not, not do saying, anything he's perfectly i'm not straight. saying it's a good call yeah it's and a, then, it's a bad and, then call. and then the of course the jimmy butler one is just as bad it's the classic it was a makeup call you could see it coming from a mile away because they're yeah. like we really screwed up that one if 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 anyone even breathes on jimmy call the whistle because we got to make up for it and it's like that's what they did because he's yeah. i mean Giannis touches him after the ball is out of his hands by a mile no. yeah Mark Davis, Mark Davis was right there. It looked like he wanted to call that thing, but but let, it looked a lot. It reminded me a lot uh, of 2011 Game Two, OKC versus Miami in the finals, where LeBron touched Kevin Durant 
in the belly like a little a little teeny tiny touch at the end of the game and there was no whistle right uh because the last seconds of games are generally officiated different than the first 47 minutes and 50 seconds and they didn't call it then and i think even in that instance that could have affected the shot but the way Giannis touched jimmy did not affect the shot whatsoever it was after the fact it was totally after the fact and that's the problem with trying to officiate all 48 minutes the exact same i you don't want referees deciding the game so i think you have to you have to just say let it go just just let that go i i the goran dragic and then, and then the other call, I feel a little less dirty because the right team won. Because yeah. there was a Yeah, I agree. Call. I actually agree with that. They screwed right. up big time on the Dragic call. And then they were like, oh, well, well, again, if anybody even comes close to him, just call it. Because we already screwed up. We'll just call it. Let's give him a chance at least. That's exactly how I feel. So in a way, you're right. At the better team won game two. They did. Like they, The Heat really deserved to win this game. Then they blew it, of course. And credit for the Bucks for putting up some fight. But... The Dragic call is just was garbage. I mean, it's, it and then wrong. I can't even believe you know Steve Javi, get the. F- <laughs> like, it's, I know it's fun. Like it's we have a laugh about it, but it's also embarrassing. It's making the league look worse. We go to him and and of he doubles down on every call ever, and a lot of them I get it. It's 50-50. Here you're in a, you're a, an experienced referee. You probably know the rules better than the average fan, but. Like, I couldn't even believe that he was, like, trying to tell us that was the right call. And well, credit to Doris yeah. Burke for calling him out on yeah. that. Like We got a great tweet of the night later on that, okay. that, that plays yeah. into this great stuff. Oh, yeah, Dor- Doris, call it. Doris has been trending just about every game she's been calling lately on Twitter for saying something or doing something funny. It's been hilarious. But that was actually really important, I think, that Doris was basically saying, bullshit. Steve, bullshit, mate. No, mate, no. Joke. You're talking shit, mate. Yeah, no, you're not. You're not a referee anymore. I know you used to be, but no, that's a crap call, Steve. Call it a crap call because it is. And what they should do in that situation, this is I'm proposing a new rule, is they should go up to Chris Middleton and say, Chris, are you calling that? Are you seriously going to call that? <laughs> no. Call your own fouls from now on in the last thirty yeah. seconds because <laughs> because Chris, do you want to go to the line when everyone's like, nah, mate, that was a terrible call. Or are you going to be like, yeah, nah, I didn't, he didn't foul me, he didn't foul me, play on. Because I'm I'm sure Chris Middleton would have said that. He wouldn't have taken that if <laughs> wow. it was... Uh, wow, interesting, interesting. Yeah. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah, we'll let the Heat win because, this one. We're good. Did his because, torso you know, touch you? Did his torso touch you? No? There are there are times where, you know, for all of us, I'm sure, you're watching game, you're like, there was no way that was a foul or vice versa. And then you look at the replay and you go, oh, okay, yeah, they got that one right. You know, there was one We say on, um, it all the time, Lee. Yeah. We do. We say yeah. it on this podcast all the time. It has got to be one of the most difficult jobs in sports, of course, yeah. to be an NBA official with the talent on the floor, the athleticism on the floor, the bang-bang nature of these calls. I don't I, I don't know why you would ever want to be a ref. I've said that before. It seems like an insane profession. <laughs> because but, yeah, it's easy to not be a we ref. Can, We're all doing it right now. Yeah, well we can yeah, right. Well we can we can stop going to Steve Javi though. Okay? Like we can cut this out of the broadcast because it's actually hurting the product, I believe, in my opinion. Yeah. It doesn't, so, it, it doesn't add anything. He doesn't add anything. It doesn't help when he does just sort of say, well, you know, I did see some contact there, so it's down to interpretation the way I saw it. Good call. You know, like that doesn't that doesn't help at all. But you know, my point as well, earlier in the game, uh, I think Giannis had three fouls and he drives inside and it looks like an offensive foul. He gets called for the offensive foul and the Bucks challenge it and it gets overturned. And I thought that was a bad overturn because you, you see that all the time where the guy's just sort of barreling in mm-hmm. and he hits the defender, but they overturn it. And now, look, Giannis had three fouls. It would have been his fourth foul. 
I wonder if those sorts of things come into it as well, because I think that when you look at that, it's like that to me, there was not enough of that, you know, uh, evidence to overturn the call. And so in this case as well with Middleton, it was like, like it's a bad call. Now, no one had a challenge either, but at some point you've got to say, oh man, that, this is a, this is a terrible call. I don't know how they do it, but to, to defend that is very bad. But then again, you know, ultimately the Heat do go on to win this game. But uh, if the Bucks had somehow won that game, then the conspiracy theorists are out in uh, out in full force because it's like, well, the refs just wanted to make it. Or the, you know, the NBA wants to make this a close right. series and they want to save Giannis, the MVP, and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, it was a it was a bad look for Steve Javi, bad look for the uh, for the game last night. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love Javi, man. I love it. I want to see just how bad of a call he will defend. The calls kept getting worse and worse, and you're like, how's he gonna do it, man? How's he gonna say this is okay? <laughs> yeah, uh, Javi, he's he's on fire for me right now. He's the he's the guy you love to hate. He's like Paul Heyman when he comes up. Uh, you know, on the jumbo drive, you're like, Boo! we know he's gonna say something to fire us up. Yeah, I know you're right. I was thinking that too. It's like, we're, it's getting more and more extreme. Like, someone's like gonna pull out like a samurai sword and just like cut somebody's arm off. Nothing let's called. Go to Steve. Let's go to Steve. And I, I look pretty. You know, I can, it's a, I can see what you're saying, but I actually think that's the right no call for. Uh, you know, I know he cleanly took off his right arm there with that samurai sword, but you know, like, yeah, it's it's. It is. I guess it's fun, but it's also infuriating. It really well, it is. is. Uh, but uh, again, credit to Doris. But yeah, but the internet was calm until Chris Middleton rose up and Goran Dragic was kind of around and didn't affect the shot and the whistle was blown. We were good watching this game for 47 minutes and 56 seconds You're right, of play, it, right? Yeah, it was it, like it was it was a good game and and really those all those uh, uh, the the free throw thing and. Uh, Jimmy Butler got saved a little bit uh, mm-hmm. because of yep. that, that horrendous pass um, that you know to Brook Lopez underneath his own great group, defense, which, great defense, yeah, nice the, job, yeah, yeah, well, great defense from a guy who doesn't usually get any cred, Kyle mm. Korver, uh, yep. with part part of that double there, and George Hill, yeah, but you also have a timeout, Jimmy Butler, yeah. and you're in front of your own bench, and you're up four points. Just, tea, just also don't it throw out. it to your own net if you're gonna <laughs> fall out of bounds do at least like chuck it off them like try to do a dort did you know what i mean like you see that every once in a while you should just call the timeout but you're putting it to the biggest guy on the court right under the rim i mean it's, uh, just, it's just crazy to see jimmy butler go into a fourth quarter we all talked about jimmy and then he just he wasn't a big part of the offense at all he had eight points going into the fourth quarter he hit five free throws in the fourth quarter and, and a you know, a couple of them were because there was a makeup call at the end of the game, so he just well, he wasn't the fourth quarter option. It was, but like he went into it, and, he, and, he, and there was that great article on the Athletic. He said, "There's a lot of guys that can do that for us going into game two. It might not be me." And it was like, "Are you are you setting this up? Are you trolling us?" <laughs> uh, and and yeah, the Heat were just they were awesome. They they look so so good, uh, and I don't know if you guys actually want to talk about basketball, but yeah, man. sure, sure. I mean, I will say one more thing about the free throw. Jimmy Butler said, "I wish I could kick it in there and say that's how I won it." <laughs> what? Jimmy Butler <laughs> is Same. a hilarious weirdo. He's saying when he gets fouled and he goes to the line to win the game on a buzzer-beating free throw, he wished he could have kicked it, at Tess. You know, because oh. it was a soccer-related sort of like it was almost like a penalty like a shot type. Yeah, yeah it, felt, it felt like a PK with Kelly Olenek sitting yeah. there back there at midcourt yeah. watching. 
Uh, come on, man. There's R- Roberto Benini. What's no, not Roberto Benini. Roberto Baggio. Ba- gonna... Baggio. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Roberto Benini, Benini, the director. Life is beautiful. Life is beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, but then you also had Jimmy like dapping up the virtual board, like he, yeah. pre- like wait, wait, can't <laughs> see him, man. Fire, like man. what a guy. What a, just an absolute. And another character. line for Pat Riley walking in, walking out. He said, "You're good. You're not going to have a stroke." Uh, you're you're in good condition to Pat Riley. You're not going to have a stroke, is what he said to him. Right? I, I don't know if that's a hit at, at the president, but I don't know. I don't okay, know what, what that was. Let, let, let's talk a little bit about the game because, yeah, the, the Heat did try to give it away. I thought the uh, the Bucks in the third quarter, I guess it was, it felt like they sort of they sort of showed up, like the Bucks defense that we sort of knew from the regular season. I thought they did ramp it up there uh, to to start to make this a game and. Yeah, look, we can get into the whole what's Budenholzer doing, Lee, with sitting his guys still. I mean, Giannis, you know, fouls come into play here, but uh, he's still, he is extra conservative when it comes to these guys in terms of their minutes and not even allowing them to play when they sometimes get into foul trouble. What do you think? Yeah, I guess he's sort of relying on what got them there. He's like, this is how we played during the regular season. I'm not going to change things now. But, of course, in the playoffs, that's when you do need to change things. You mm-hmm. need to make adjustments because you're going up against a team that, again, is so well prepared. And honestly, like you, you mentioned the third quarter, and I think you're right there, because in that first half, it was only six points, but it felt like the Heat were in total control to me. And it was like, wow, the, the Bucks are... Um, they're scrapping just to stay close to the team that they really should be in, in control of, and they weren't. But they did start playing with a bit more intensity and a bit more effort, and Giannis mm-hmm. hit some free throws. Uh, and, and so it sort of started to flow a little bit for them. But then I think it was Kyle Korver hit a three, and then after that, then the Heat sort of went on a bit of another run to sort of stretch the lead out again. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens now uh, with Budenholzer in Game 3. Does he just decide, again, if Giannis or Middleton are not in foul trouble, I've just got to play these guys 40 minutes. Uh, Kyle Korver only played 10 minutes last night, but I thought in game one they had a little bit too much of a reliance on Kyle Korver. He's a great shooter. I love him. He's a veteran. But he should be out there for, like, spot minutes here and there. He shouldn't be a a, a big part of their rotation, and I thought he played a little bit too many minutes. Tightened up again in that game too. But Mike Budenholz is under a lot of pressure here. He needs to find a way to come out, not just get a win, but a sort of convincing performance, a 48-minute convincing performance. Some of that's, of course, on your star players, but the coach, it seems to me that he's kind of there like going, save me a little bit here, guys, rather than making strong moves that are actually going to put his team in control. He needs to try something else. <laughs> I don't think he can just keep banging his head in the wall here and just hoping and praying that it's uh, going to go like the regular season does. It didn't work last year for you, bud, and I don't think it's going to work again against this Heat. That I said, I tweeted, like, it felt like to me that the Heat, as this game went on, was like, we can end them right now. We can win if we win this game, and it sounds insane. It's only game two, but if we win this game, they're 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 probably gonna have, uh, lose face in their in their coach, maybe themselves, and maybe they just want to get the hell out of here. Is I thought the intensity from Miami, and I know they always play hard, but really was cranked to Spinal Tap eleven here, Trey, where it was like we can end them. We, we this might be over. Like we can we know we can beat them. And they may not know they can beat or, or start to lose faith in that they can beat us four times here. That's how that's the take I got from this one, the vibe of it. Yeah, I feel the same way. This series reminds me of when the Spurs won the first two games against the Thunder back in the day, but then the Thunder came back using their athleticism and their length and their effort, and it just kind of turned the tide because when you look at the fourth quarter and you got George Hill and Kyle Korver out there for the Bucks, it's like what? What? These guys are playing crunch time minutes. They tried to do this with LeBron in 2018 and it didn't work. And it's like you got Bam Adebayo out there 
playing against Giannis. Bam was on the floor for 24 minutes yeah. of last night's game. The guy was everywhere, falling down, trying to dunk on people, taking charges, getting bumped. Like, he was giving every single bit of effort, and that didn't necessarily feel like uh, what the Bucks were doing. I thought Giannis was great in the last six minutes. He was super aggressive. He was running people over. He was getting to his weird Euro steps, but that hasn't been the case for you know, the entire 48 minutes. When you're talking adjustments-wise, you look at Giannis's minute total. He's at 36. So was Jimmy Butler. Chris Middleton was in foul trouble. He was at 33 minutes. So was Bam Adebayo. So, yeah, I mean, Bud probably needs to ride his guys a little bit harder just because what is Kyle Korver going to do? Like, he was great. That was a nice trap. He can hit some threes. He's been consistent for them. He's knocked down shots, no doubt, uh, in this playoff series. But relying on Korver to be key piece in the fourth quarter of a game in 2020 that is tough man it just it seems like getting nothing from Connaughton and DiVincenzo is more of a problem than you would have expected for the Bucks. they just look completely outclassed so far the series can still turn but it's not looking good Miami it feels like sees and smells blood in the water and they are ready to just bring the effort to Milwaukee and Milwaukee hasn't hit first yet yeah but I think has to realize right like okay I get it we want to play Giannis 36 minutes because we want him at 100% in those 36 minutes. Or the same with Middleton, right? But he also has to know uh, if we play them 44 minutes and we only get them at like 85%, 90%, whatever it is, that's still better than these guys you just listed, Trey, that are playing those minutes. It just is. He's the damn two-time MVP. So if he's a little more gassed for some possessions, sorry, it's still better. <laughs> it's like way better. Uh, and I don't know if he'll change. I don't know just how stubborn this guy is when it comes to making adjustments. I don't know what you think, Taz. Yeah, he did scale it back or you know, reel it in a touch going into uh, to game two here. But I, I totally agree. Watching their offense and watching you know Giannis and, and Chris Middleton and, and this sort of system where everybody's going to get a touch and everybody's going to going to touch it outside on the perimeter. Uh, it, it's there's no faith in Pat Connaughton to hit a three-point shot. He's not a great three-point shooter. Uh, and Dante, Dante DiVincenzo, we watched him through the bubble seating games. He just didn't play all that well. He just wasn't ready to to take that. I'm more of a in the George Hill camp. I think you know him playing some fourth-quarter mitts is actually sort of makes sense because Eric Bledsoe struggles at times. George Hill actually did chip in uh, with some minutes, but shorten the rotation. You don't need to play 10. There is a reason. There, there is a reason. All coaches... Go from 10 or 11, like Mike Boonholzer has been playing through these first two games, to eight. I mean, just cut those guys out because yeah. you're, you're right about the hey, we're gonna we're gonna get better 85% of, of Giannis than we are of 100% of Don David DiVincenzo and Pat Connaughton, and they got all the oldies out there on the bench: Marvin Williams, Kyle Korver, and George Hill uh, trying to chip in. Maybe Kyle Korver should just stand at the three-point line and, and jump and hope somebody fouls him because they're calling that every single play. <laughs> somebody is getting fouled out there, but yeah, that's they have to scale back the minutes, and I just I don't know if it's gonna happen. That being said, I I do wanna put this on the players a little bit because the fourth quarter it wasn't pretty i wrote down all the wtf moments from the bucks just in the fourth there's a lot of them hmm. lopez handoff to middleton is a handoff to the miami heat they can't do a dho a dribble right. handoff uh bledsoe off balance a shot early in the shot clock or he grabbed that rebound and just kind of like threw it up for what reason 
Uh, Middleton entry pass to Lopez. Everybody in the world knew it was coming. It was telegraphed. That was Derek Jones Jr., right? Or he comes from behind? Yeah. Yeah, they doubled it. And it was every. This is the Heat defense, number one. And number two, he didn't pass it immediately. He was just waiting. And then Matthews passes up a three. And then Giannis says, give it to me uh, with a lob and he just lined it at him and there was a turnover with a Bledsoe pass to Jimmy Butler uh, who that Jimmy Butler intercepted in the corner which was a very nice interception uh, but bad pass and then Middleton missed the layup um, it was just a layup uh, which happens but there's just a lot of moments here where um, they could have played better and, and and I think just the last thing Trey you know touched on uh, the Miami Heat coming into this thing they're they are working their asses off for 48 minutes while the Bucks are like Every single possession. Goran Dragic, a guy you don't think about defense at all. Just watch him. How hard he is scrapping to get into every play. Yeah, Bam's on the floor. Everybody who's playing is is scrapping. And if not, they're off. Uh, the, yep. So so look, the, the Heat are also going deep. They're also playing a lot of guys. But those guys are playing well. <laughs> and then that's the difference. Yep. They're playing they're playing ten guys. Uh, but those guys are just they're they're playing great. And and then the the Bucks guys aren't. The, and the Bucks guys definitely picked it up. Giannis block in the middle of uh, the second quarter on Jimmy Butler, I think, kind of shook him, shook the heat a little bit, and brought the Bucks to a new level. But they're not playing like that every minute. Uh, and so we thought coming into the series, are the Heat just not going to be able to score, but outwork uh, the Bucks, or are the Bucks talent level going to be? Is is it going to rise to the uh, the occasion here? Well, the talent level can rise to the occasion. I think if they play those guys more, and they got to bring some more intensity. I think the, mm-hmm. the Heat have just. They've, they've outplayed them. Yep. This is the first number five seed to take a 2-0 series lead over a number one seed. That has never happened before here, so that's a little interesting. Uh, you said FIBA Dragic there. Once again, really, really impre- impressive early on. And that steal from behind where he like dove to grab the steal like midway through the third quarter, he's awesome. he is leaving it all out there. Tyler Hero, another 17 off the bench. He had another big fourth quarter three, too. Um, I think that was after a timeout they drew it up for him. Jay Crowder. This guy's letting it fly. He's their Marcus Smart right now, you know, former Celtic. He's four for 12 from deep. And Derek Jones Jr., that's a perfect example like you're talking about, Tass, of like those guys getting spot minutes for the Heat, they're bringing it. Whereas the Bucks guys are not because Derek Jones Jr., I thought he had some like really impactful fourth quarter minutes like blocks and steals and he had a crazy, crazy layup he hit late. Um, so he, he was really, really solid for the Heat. He's, yeah. he's he probably wasn't going to play, though, if uh, Iggy doesn't get injured. So Yeah, that's, that's true. You know, that's but true. That, that's more a credit to the Heat that their yep. players are always ready. You know, Because he actually played quite a bit against the Pacers, but I guess Spolstra just didn't like him out there in those first, you know, first game and a half. But then it was like, all right, we need you. And he went out and performed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he took his regular season experience of guarding Giannis. Smarter people than us on The Athletic wrote about Derek Joe Jr. could be a bit of a... Uh, a Giannis garter in I'm not going to call him a stopper but no. a Giannis garter in this series and, uh, and yeah he, he was they, they knew they just know every possession and what they're doing right they're scrambling uh, the way they, they collapse and then recover to everybody it's like uh, somebody playing the accordion collapse boom bang boom bang like that it's in and out and in and out and they're just all over the place at all times it's it's fun to watch them on, on defense and the Bucks have that too but yeah like you mentioned the Goran Dragic recovery the bam recovery they don't have that all the time right now they're they're getting no play it's just wild uh, jimmy butler has eight shots in this game goran Dragic is leading the way with 18 shots in this game and they win because uh goran Dragic is an unheralded guy he's just he just keeps doing his thing um and this is his this is his premier playoff role i guess like this is the most he's ever shone in the playoffs really as a sort of a 1a guy 
Yeah, on a team that looks like it could go, obviously, to a conference finals, maybe even a finals, uh, for sure. Uh, a couple more notes, just random notes. Lee, you're always bringing up the Simpsons here on the show. I yeah. can't believe you haven't mentioned the Jimmy Butler turning into Homer Simpson or Curly from Three Stooges on that jump ball where he's like, whoop, 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 oh, yeah. whoop, he's going around in a circle. <laughs> yeah, I saw you tweet that. A few people tweeted out. That was pretty hilarious seeing them do that little, little. it was him and Brooke Lopez, I think, wasn't yeah. it? They yeah. kind of got tangled up there. Yeah, that was funny. <laughs> Again, a classic weirdo Jimmy moment. And yeah. uh, I, I thought of this watching this game. Now, this one's really strange, really random note. The Miami Heat could throw out the very rare no dunks lineup if they wanted to. Now, we haven't seen it yet, but this is what I mean by this. Okay, I'm Drogic. We'll go with me as Drogic. I'm going to go Lee, you're Duncan Robinson. You're the three-point shooter. JD, I'm going to make you Myers Leonard because we haven't seen a lot of Myers Leonard. Oh, but he's still contributing from the bench. I mean, if you've seen Myers Leonard over there, that guy is vocal. I mean, he's like an assistant coach. I, I he's got some great reactions. Yeah. Somebody had a shot uh, yesterday. He was like, <gasps> Yeah, that's the only reason they got him there, I think. Uh, and then I was torn. I was like, is Trey Tyler Hero or is he Kelly Olynyk? Now, you're a big man that can shoot the three in real life, but I'm actually making you Tyler Hero, Trey, because you're the young guy. You're the youthful guy in this group. And then that makes Tass, Kelly Olynyk, which I still think works out, both Canadian too. So sure. that's the Heat, no dunks lineup. Will we ever see it? Drogic, Hero, Duncan Robinson, Kelly Olynyk, and Myers Leonard. A lot of those guys play at the same time, but just not all five of them. So there you go. All right. You know, Bud would find a way to get those five guys on the court together. <laughs> Probably. Probably. Okay, wow. This is going to be a 90-minute episode, no doubt. Uh, we will get to our Clippers Nuggets series preview. But first, a word from our sponsors. Well, you, you know, you guys have heard enough about my uh, manscaping routine, cleaning my part. So I decided today to uh, outsource my ad read to longtime fan of the show, Sarah Gray. Take it away, Sarah. <laughs> Oh my god. Hey, it's me, Sarah. I'm here to talk to you about Manscaped. I know what you're thinking. What does a woman know about men's grooming products? Oh, I don't know. Have I ever kissed a man? Have I ever been with a man? And I'm not just a woman. I'm a writer and editor too. So I know some things about dangling participles. And I'm here to tell you that not every dangling participle has to be a hairy situation. Not with Manscaped here to provide you with the best tools for your grooming experience. Being one of No Dunk's female fans means listening to a lot of Hibbert's talk. <laughs> every day, every morning. And guys, I've had enough. If your Paul Millsack is too Danilo Gallinari, then it's time for you to Landry shave it. <laughs> so, I bought my husband some Manscaped products. Now, my husband does a great job of mowing the lawn, and I'm not just talking about the grass in our yard. <laughs> the Lawn Mower 3.0 is the best hygiene tool for the modern man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and because of the ceramic blade and the skin-safe technology, your snags will be reduced. No more of those loose ball fouls. You can loo dort in and out of every nook and cranny. Now it's smooth, smooth balling in our household. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code THEATHLETIC20. 
take your grooming game to the next level. Wow, that's well done, well written. Great job, Sarah. You are you are shamelessly Ellis, though. Uh, oh my god, this guy is giving out his ad read responsibilities now. Hey, listen, man, we've got more than just males in our audience, and I thought, listen, why don't we get females involved? I asked Sarah; she answered straight away, and she did that, uh, and it was a fantastic job. Thank you so much, Sarah. I thought that was very, very well done. Yeah, no matter what Sarah Gray sent in, Lee was going to be okay with it. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, that'll do. Absolutely. But it just worked out that it was absolutely incredible. Oh, task, task. That is definitely the first time Lee actually watched the video. No, it's not. He got it and sent it to James. I watched it last night several times. I enjoyed it so much. It was just perfect. Perfect. And and Tyler Gray, Sarah's husband, also had to had to watch that there, and he commented just now. I had to mute it. Couldn't couldn't listen to that. <laughs> well, yeah, your wife just talked about your smooth balls on a podcast. <laughs> smooth balling. <Hey. laughs> All right, well, let's get to the Manscaped series here. It's the Clippers Nuggets. Uh, this one tips today, Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern on TNT. Can I, uh, can Clippers... I just inter- interrupt for a sec? Tyler sure. Gray says, this is weird because that is my sister. Not as... Oh, <laughs> oh okay. Well, yeah, well, I didn't yeah. know that. I, mean, yeah, this, I guess Tass didn't either. This is all weird. <laughs> now it's gotten weirder. Yes. Yes. Good. Good. Oh, it's too weird for a husband. He's out of here. <laughs> all right. The Clippers took two out of three regular season games, uh, including a 124-111 victory in the bubble. So let's get to the keys to this series, Clippers Nuggets, and then we'll make our predictions. Tass, get us started. What are you watching? Well, Jamal Murray is going to be the number one objective for the Clippers defensively. They're just going to be watching Jamal Murray. And I think uh, this is going to be the one series where Kawhi Leonard has to guard Jamal. I think whoever's playing point guard for them is going to be too little uh, to guard Jamal Murray, whether it's Beverly or Landry Shamit. And I think Paul George is too big. So it's just going to work out uh, that Leonard is going to be on Jamal primarily. That's going to be his matchup, like it has been the last two times that they played during this regular season. So that's going to be exciting. Uh, Just watching Leonard have to exert a lot of energy, expend energy. You know, it's not just you're playing pick and roll with Jamal Murray. He's going to give up the ball, and he's going to friggin' run around off ball, and he's going to be dancing. And I think, you know, we know that guys uh, are going to help out uh, with those guys I just mentioned. And if it's the Zubats, this is going to be a really big, really big series for him. We saw what happened in, in Utah. If Rudy Gobert comes up and, and plays Jamal Murray, things change. The numbers change. So that's going to be their huge, huge focus. This is going to be so hard for Jamal Murray to go and come after what he just did. Now he's going to be watching Kawhi Leonard. And, and I think Kawhi can sort of lock in on this end of the floor uh, because I think this is Paul George's series to take over on, on the other end. And I think it's good, Paul George. Ah, he's he feels like he just had a nice fresh manscape grooming. The <laughs> fact that the fact that this is a new series, he should feel uh, you know a little rejuvenated. Uh, also, because he's not going to have a tough assignment, I think going up uh, on the other end. He, uh, I think Jeremy Grant's going to be guarding Kawhi like he has all year, and Paul George is going to get Millsap or Tory Craig who's a little too small for him, or Michael Porter. I don't know about that. Uh, so Paul George should have uh, the. Uh, the freedom and uh, the ability just because the defender he's going to have him on to go offensively and Kawhi can expend all that energy. So I think that's what's going to happen. We're going to have, we're going to get Jamal come back to earth a little bit because this is the Clippers defense here. Yeah. Kawhi and, and Patrick Beverly. I mean, you're right. They just sort of made life miserable for Murray in the regular season matchups and they would do that to a lot of people. So we'll see what we get from uh, Kitchener's finest. 
Lee, let's go to you because I know it's playoff P related, and Tass was talking about him. You think he's the key here for the Clippers moving forward? Well, that's, that's I think, a very important thing now for him and the Clippers going forward. He had 18 points uh, on that first round against the Mavericks on 36% shooting from two, but only 27% from downtown. Now, he's talked up a big game, and uh, he had a very good game in game five against the Mavericks in that blowout win. And if he's more like playoff P in that situation, then I think the Clippers win this series pretty easily. But if he's not that, then... You know, it does give, it opens the door a little bit here for Denver. So um, I'm expecting Paul George to sort of go into this feeling a little bit more confident, a little bit happier. You know, he said he spoke to the team psychiatrist to sort of deal with those uh, those issues he was having, uh, you know, with the mental side of the game. So I think now that he had such a good response, he's going to just be a little bit more comfortable going out there to play. And uh, and this is his time now to step up and deliver as well. We know Kawhi is going to be great. We know the Clippers have got very good role players, but he is not a role player. He's a star player. And now going up against Denver, who don't have a great defensive matchup for him, he should be able to feast out there. He really should on the offensive end. And if he can, then uh, the Clippers are going to look so much better. So I think uh, he's going to go into this series feeling like, okay, got that first one out of the way. Now playoff P is going to show up. And I hope he does because uh, he is exciting to watch when he gets it going. But, uh, you know, he hasn't hasn't done it consistently yet for the uh, Clippers. For sure. What about you, Trey? What are you watching in this? We got to see Game 7 Nikola Jokic every single game for the Denver Nuggets to pull off this upset because, like Tass is saying, whether it's Kawhi or whether it's Patrick Beverly, it's going to be a tougher matchup for Jamal Murray. And if you saw his interview with Scott Van Pelt after their Game 7, Van Pelt told him you got to play on Thursday, and Jamal was like, we got to play in two more days? (laughs) Like, this guy's already exhausted, and now he's got to go play against one of the best perimeter defensive teams uh, in the entire league. So you imagine he's going to be a little bit slowed uh, no matter who they yeah. put on him, which means that Jokic has to take advantage of the advantage he has in this series, which is playing against Ivica Zubats. He's got to be able to put him in the basket. He's got to be able to score from outside. Surely uh, Jokic is going to bring the ball up sometimes and create shots for the Nuggets. And then he's also got to bring it defensively. He's got to clear the glass for the Nuggets and he's got to, you know, do his little getting his hands in the way, maybe step up a little more so that we don't just see Kawhi Leonard hitting a parade of 18 footers off the pick and roll. This is going to be a big series for Jokic. We've seen that he can show up in the playoffs. He had an incredible game seven. He hit the clutch shot. He hit the game winner with the ground hook. He's just got to be like that for every single game. Uh, if the Nuggets are going to be able to compete against the Clippers. Yeah, I'm with you on that. For them to have any chance, he's got to be their best player. Uh, he might have to be the best player on the floor on, in some of those games for them to actually have a chance to pull this off. But at least Denver's best player, with all the attention that you would assume is going to be uh, put onto Jamal Murray. That's a great call. The only thing I'll add to this is... Uh, the Nuggets, uh, the Nuggets three-point defense is key to this series for them to win some games, but really it's just luck, I think. And I mean, they just got to hope the Clippers miss some of these looks because if you looked at the numbers in the first round for the Nuggets, in the four games they won, Utah shot 38% from three, which is still pretty damn good. But in the games they lost, Utah hit 47% from three. So no chance there. Bad news for them. The Clippers are good three-point shooting team. They're third best three-point shooting team in the playoffs. And uh, were really good during the regular season too, around 37% over the whole year. So I know Schumann pointed out too, they, they, they're really good at the catch and shoot three-point percentage. So they're good at that. And that's where the pick and roll action comes in. It's going to be decisions to be made with the Nuggets. What are we doing here? Uh, because you know the Clippers are going to run pick and rolls. And if you're helping, and you might have to, they're going to be guys open in the sides and on the corners, and they're going to get their looks. So you just got to pray that they miss some here. I think it really comes down to that. I don't think a lot of people are going to be picking the Nuggets to win this series, 
but they need the Clippers to go ice cold in a couple of these games from distance, and they need Jeremy Grant, Michael Porter, Torrey Craig to, and, and I throw in Gary Harris, who's been ice cold, but and just come back. They need them to hit threes too to to counterbalance that because they're good out there. A lot of those guys defensively, but man, when they can chip in the little three and D there, that's great. So three point shooting will be will be massive here for the Nuggets to pull off this. I wonder if the Clippers are looking ahead already. You know, is there any concern about that? Let's get to our predictions task. Like, could they be overlooking the Nuggets at mm-hmm. all? Thinking of the Lakers maybe in a conference finals, and, and would that help the chances of the Nuggets to get a game or two? What's your prediction? I don't think the Clippers are overlooking anybody, especially after getting shook to the core by right. Luka Doncic just now. Uh, they, they saw what Jamal Murray did as well. Uh, and, and I think this is a def- decent matchup for Ivica Zubac, his uh, fellow Balkan brother, uh, Nikola Jokic, to be guarding him. Uh, I, th- I think they, they match up well. And uh, yeah, Jamal Murray is probably a little tired. I, I think they're, they're going to be ready, uh, especially yeah after having to just deal with a guard all series long. Uh, they, they have. They just did it. They just did their homework. Um, you know the way it was, the way it worked out in, in round one. So I think they went in five. Okay, Clippers in five. I have a weird feeling this is going to be a popular pick here. But mm-hmm. Lee, where are you going? Yeah, I, I want to give the Nuggets two games, but I just, I just can't really. Uh, I think they've got Jamal Murray, the star, who's going to drag them to one win. But uh, overall, Kawhi Leonard, he's rested, he's fresh, he's ready to go. He's too much of a handful for them. And at times against the Jazz, the Nuggets looked awful, and other times Murray and Jokic kind of saved them. But outside of those two, I'm not. I don't have a whole lot of confidence in those guys now going up against the Clippers. So I, I'm also taking the Nuggets in five. I want to pick them in six, but I'm not going to. Yeah, there is a Michael Porter revenge angle to this series, is there not? And the Clippers overlook mm. him a couple of times, and he's an LA guy and all that. Maybe he'll become <laughs> fired up. But uh, Trey, where are you going? Do you go sweep? Do you go Clips in five, Clips in six? Where, where do you fall? Well, I'm definitely on the Clippers. I think yeah. that they are getting better as the playoffs go on as well. Montrez Harrell was late to the bubble. His performance improved throughout the course of the series against the Mavericks. Uh, at some point, they're going to get Patrick Beverly back. They're going to get healthier. They're going to get a little bit more cohesion. But, you know, the Nuggets have been playing a lot of tough games. It's apparently a shooter's gym down there. I have confidence they can get hot. Give me the Clippers in six. Clippers in six. So he's got the Nuggets taken too. I don't mind it. I'm ultimately going to go with Clippers in five. I thought long and hard about a sweep here. But Clippers just feel like a team that, I you know, with a lot of guys on that squad that just like to uh, talk a big game sometimes and maybe are looking ahead and thinking titles that they might give one away. Uh, or the Nuggets might grab that win. But I think Clippers in five is, uh, it feels like the safe bet here in this series. But let's hear from you guys. Tweet at us at no dunk sync three of us clippers in five trey the only one clippers in six all right we're gonna get you set for today's games we got tweet of the night still but first a quick break okay time for tweet of the night Mm, tweet of the night wow twitter got two for you today fellas the first coming from tom martin who fabricated the exchange between ESPN analyst Doris Burke and former referee Steve Javi. He wrote his own here, uh, and it was too enjoyable not to include. Steve Javi. So, Doris, I think ultimately this is the right call. Doris Burke. Steve, I literally could not hate you more. Javi, I understand that, Doris, but again, video shows it's the right call. Doris, 
There is no army in the world that could stop me from kicking your ass, Steve. <laughs> I just liked it too much not to include that. Uh, mm. Everybody having so much fun talking referees. God, let's talk about it. Love it. Oh, Mark Davis, Scott Foster, and Steve Javi. I love them all. They're pretty good names, you know? Yeah, a couple, uh, Javi's great to say. A couple yeah. two-syllable names there, aren't there? Uh, love the Foster. Uh, and a VB for my Australian boys. Ah, <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, okay, uh, next one here. It's from not quite retired, but eventual Hall of Famer, Pau Gasol. <laughs> he retweeted J.E. Skeet's Photoshop here of Pau Gasol playing the sax and uh, our man Tim Duncan playing the cello. Is that a cello, I guess? I guess. Yeah. Sure. I have to ask Zach Cox about that. I'm not uh, sure. Pau Gasol, epic photo. Love the melody. Um <laughs> <laughs> I love the emojis. I love the melody. There. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He put effort into finding those emojis. Yeah, he did. He went deep there. Um, yeah, not my Photoshop. I want to make that very clear. This this photo has been around for a long, long time. A decade. It's got And be. I legit think about it a lot. I do. And I was like, it popped into my head the other night while we were tweeting during the games. I'm like, <laughs> I'm, I found it very easily. You know, it's not hard to find. <laughs> Threw it up there. And uh, I, I, I did at Pau Gasol because I was like, I don't know. He might retweet this. I mean, what is he doing right now? And it is such a funny photo. And of course he did. So I think, I think, I don't have his, um, the exact Twitter handle name, but somebody tweeted me Clinton 33 or something like that. Trey, maybe you can help me out. I'm not sure. It's a guy that's been around on Twitter for a long time. Uh, Is that Clinton Clinton Light or Clinton? Clinton Knight. Yeah, Clinton Knight. There you go. He says, he says he created that Photoshop. Hmm. So I mean I have no idea if that's true. I gotta check the metadata, buddy. For a long time, but uh, yeah, Uh, that's a a great one. That's a classic. Is that Sarah Gray's cousin? I don't know. We're just I'm just saying stuff. Uh, Okay, yeah, we're all done there on Twitter. I think think Pau Gasol is probably becoming a doctor. Is what he's probably doing right now. Think so? Yeah, that's a base. E Burns says that's a base task, not a cello. (laughs) You don't know anything about musical instruments. A A base what? It's not just a bass. A bass what? Acoustic bass? <laughs> bass cello. Is that a thing? Yeah, it's a bass. It's a ba- like a bass, bass violin, basically. But they just oh, call okay. it a bass. They, some people call it a double bass. That's what, think, uh, that's what well, Zach Cox played, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think that's a cello. But I think it's... They used a cello, but it's supposed <laughs> to be a bass. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, got him. Wow. We'll have if to ask cello, Clinton. let it mellow. Yeah, let's see. All right. Yeah, it's an, up, it's an upright bass. For all upright I know, bass. it could be a violin. I mean, oh, but right. it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be a, an upright bass. Upright bass, stand-up bass, string bass, <laughs> an oversized ukulele. Nobody knows what it is. I'm reading all these comments from the yeah. chat. If you use Manscaped, your ukulele can look like a double bass. <laughs> hey, Trey, have you ever caught one of those sweet basses? Uh, <laughs> Honestly, every time I see B-A-S-S now, I have to think bass. I'm all about that bass. <laughs> uh, I had that the other night thinking uh, about the word perfect and perfect. Man, how weird is that? I mean, the English that is language weird, is so dumb. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Games today. What we got? Uh, well, we talked a lot about uh, Nuggets, Clippers, the Manscaped series, 9 o'clock Eastern on TNT. Can't wait for that. But let's talk briefly here about the first game of the TNT doubleheader. Oh, do or die Toronto versus Boston. Boston up 2-0 in this series. Man, crazy. I have two 2-0 series in the Eastern Conference yeah. right now. I see you're wearing a, a Raptors jersey skate, so you know, take it yeah. away here. Take give me give me your thoughts on this 
oh, basketball I game. I think you're absolutely right, Tass. It's do or die for the Raps. They're, they're not going down 3-0 and coming back. That is just not happening. But I still believe I think they win tonight. I think Lowry, you know, I'm hoping it's Lowry or a Van Vliet. One of these guys can hit some threes. I'm going to put my money on Lowry hitting four or five threes tonight. So uh, I like the Raptors' chances. You know, we talked about it. You know, they're down 2-0. Um, but... I liked what I saw a lot more in game two. That was more the classic Raptors, at least defensively. Now they just have to hit a shot. That's, that's honestly the all it comes down to, and it'd be nice if Marcus Smart could uh, miss some three-pointers as well. <laughs> Though he just got he got fined $5,000 for flopping in game two versus the Raptors. That's the clip that you had up there, Lee, yeah. that you just captioned, dude. Yeah, I was like, dude, <laughs> what are you doing, man? Come on. Like, yeah. he just... He didn't. He barely even touched Siakam and then just threw himself on the ground. Now, I love Marcus Smart, but I hate that. I hate that. And I hate it when people say, he's just trying to make a play, man. No, he wasn't. He wasn't trying to make a play. <laughs> That's just weak as piss. Wow. Weak wow. as piss. Easy, man. Oh, well, you want to drink that up, do you? <laughs> but I, I, I tell you, I'd love to have Marcus Smart on my team, though, because you saw what he did. He responded. He, I think he kind of... I don't think he checked social media in between periods, but he was kind of like, oh, yeah, I dived. I dived. I'm going to have to make it up for my team here. And he did. Oh, he sure did. He sure did. How many threes does Marcus Smart? What's the over-under on Marcus Smart's three? Four and a half. Wow, I'm taking the under. There's no way. You can't do I'll it take the over. I'll take the over. He's going to do it again. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I don't like the Raps' chances if he's hitting another five threes. That that will be rough. But uh, I'll go the under on that, and I got the Raptors winning test. Thoughts, Trey, on this hoop match later today? <laughs> Looking forward to this hoop match uh, between these two basketball squads. Uh, <laughs> the Raptors have to win. Uh, if this is going to be a series, we've been looking forward to this series between the Raptors and Celtics for years at this point. And if the Raptors go down 3 0, I'm going to be mad at them. I'm going to talk trash to my friends. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. Oh, boy. This, yeah. is, this is the day Freddie gets a little loose. He's, 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 he's got to. Yeah. yeah. Lowry, Van Vliet, or Siakam. One of these three needs to be an offensive plus for the yeah. Raptors. Yeah. Yep. 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 So, Tass, do you like the Raps taking this one tonight? Yes. Yes. All right. Yes. All right. Yes. All right. Yes. You're going to be standing in front of your television? I know no, Lee said he was no. going to join me. No. All right. Uh, yeah, okay. I'll stand for a possession at least. All right. Lee, like, throw, 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 throw your Morris Peterson uh, shirt on or jersey or whatever you got there and take a photo for me. I got right? both. I got both. Yeah. I'll put them both on. <laughs> <laughs> what, the jersey and the jersey? <laughs> well, yeah. One's a sleeve. Oh, they're both sleeveless. One's that like a practice jersey. You know, right. it's the gray one. Yeah, that's my favorite one. So, But I'll wear the red one as well. <laughs> Cool, man. Thank you. Yeah. You're a true friend. <laughs> Sorry, Tass, I cut you off. What were you going to say there? Oh, the red one or the gray one? Oh, that's a Walter Mitty joke. Oh my uh, man, that's what, I was what about, you're talking Simpsons. What about Do the Dort Man? I think we could. Yeah, I uh, saw someone tweet that last Oh, really? Week. Yeah. yeah. Uh, smart. Katie, Katie, that guy's uh, smart. Heidel, is that the last name? Or a woman um, is smart. Do the Dort Man. I would have called today's show Do the Dort Man if the Thunder had pulled it off, but uh, instead we'll just call it Mark. Steve and Scott, or something like that. <laughs> now we'll do would better you, than that. Would you spell if you're gonna if you're gonna title it "Do the Dortman"? Yeah. Would you would you spell "Do Du" because it's kind of like Lou? Ooh, no. Ooh, interesting. interesting. I wouldn't. Okay, but okay. I could see why okay. you would. I'd go Dortman, uh, capital D O R T M A N. I wouldn't dash it up by any means. It'd be like Bartman. Yeah. 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 Okay, right. Good. Good. Uh, well, that's our 300th episode of the season. <laughs> Crazy. That's crazy. Uh, so thank you so much for, uh, if you're still listening to this one, because I know it's quite long, and if you've been listening throughout the regular season. Wow, we uh, how many? We got like a good 20 left still, right? More. 
Oh, yeah. yeah. Probably yeah. another hundred. Far, far more yeah, than like that. like six weeks. Yeah, basketball at least. Left. Oh, my goodness. So uh, that is pretty well. So thank you so much. Uh, if you listen to the podcast on iTunes, geez, now would be the perfect time to leave your boys a five-star rating and review. I mean, we just did 300 episodes oh. in one NBA season. We're not even done. JD, you're a machine. Guys, email us your questions and comments to nodunksattheathletic.com for the next beach step in. Thanks for joining us today. That was a lot of fun. Clipper bros. You heard it here first. Have a great time. Turn up. Love you guys. Awesome. Thanks for joining us. And remember, Trey is all about that bass. And if you're all about that bass, check out the Rippin' Lips series on our No Dunks Instagram page. Go Raptors. Embrace the day, people. You could stay.